We're live. Max, it's great to see you again. How are you? Yes, great. Thank you, John, for this invitation. I'm very uh, pleased to be with you. That's always an interesting discussion. So um, we spoke last, I believe it was April, March or April of, of this year. And obviously a lot has happened since then. Uh, I guess the first question is just how has the year been for you? You know, how, how have you been doing in your, in your work life and managing all the, the change in pace and all the different rules and restrictions that have uh, been placed on people this year? Yeah, what it was uh, disappointing for me personally, uh, I was supposed uh, starting in uh, March to do a tour across the country and meet our people and doing rally and uh, rebuild the party. So I was not able to do that. That was uh, disappointing. But, you know, I use, like everybody, a Zoom uh, teleconference and uh, try to stay in touch with our people. Uh, so I hope I'll be able in 2021 to be back on the road. Uh, that's important. I, I don't believe personally that uh, we will have an election this spring. I think the Trudeau government will be able to have the support of the Bloc Québécois or the NDP with their budget. But that being said, uh, we need to be ready as a party. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, I was working uh, uh, to uh, continue to build the party and we, uh, we did a big uh, changes uh, at the party with uh, amalgamation of uh, riding associations. Uh, that was a very, uh, very uh, good work that uh, we had to do because I don't know if you knew it, but uh, at the last election, we had 338 riding associations all across the country. So one uh, riding association in every uh, riding, but uh, that was not efficient. And so we'll, uh, we'll um, do uh, like, uh, I'll give you an example, like in Montreal, there's about uh, 25 ridings on the island of Montreal. So we'll have only one regional riding association that would be in charge of all the island and would be more efficient like that. So we are doing that amalgamation of riding association. And so that's going well. And after that, the big task for us will be to choose our, choose our candidates. We'll start that in January for, for the next election. So we are busy to work on that. And also, you know, I'm following the news with the COVID-19 and, uh, and I think uh, we, uh, it's very dangerous. Uh, we are going to a kind of a socialism in this country with Trudeau and not only here in Canada, but also in other countries, a government that try to impose their, their point of view and their vision. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at that and uh, you know, we believe in individual freedom and personal responsibility. And right now you don't have that from our leaders. Uh, the Bloc Québécois, the NDP, the Liberals, the Conservatives, they all think that, you know, they know better than us uh, what to do uh, with that crisis. But uh, I hope 2021 20, uh, would be better. I'm pretty optimistic for that and we'll see what will happen. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because when we spoke last, all of this had just started and I listened to our previous interview last night and I remember we were talking about government response and, you know, fiscal response and budget and deficit and all, all of this stuff. And I remember you saying, you know, like it, it looks like this year we might have a massive $100 billion deficit in Canada. And look where we are now. I mean, it's probably going to come in around $400 billion deficit and next year, you know, maybe marginally better, but, you know, even you and I, who I think we, <clears throat> we expected a lot of, uh, 
overreach and, and reactionary responses to this stuff. I think even you and I over the course of the past year have been surprised. And as much as I lament the fiscal irresponsibility of the government, um, that is something that an individual to a certain degree can manage or insulate themselves from if they're savvy enough, if they know how to you know, manage you know, financial, their, their finances, for example. But the thing that's, that's most disheartening to me, and I want to come back to that point about the finances, because I think we, we have a lot of big problems on the horizon in that domain. But one of the, big, the, the, the things that concerns me the most is um, rights, a, a respect, an appreciation, um, a dedication to upholding individual rights and freedoms um, this year seems to have gone by the wayside in favor of fear, emotion, and some idea of the common or collective good. And I, I disagree with that premise entirely. But even if we were going to have that discussion, all of this data and information and, and fear mongering about the virus has been so narrow in scope. You know, we, we don't seem to be discussing all of the data and trying to come and you know, having a discussion about what is the best response with all of the data when we take case counts, when we take deaths, when we take recoveries, when we take comorbidities, when we take how methods of recording, none of that seems to be a part of the narrative. It's just, let's look at cases and let's try to stop more cases from happening. And as a result of that, we've seen a complete, you know, uh, irregard, like disregard for individual rights and freedoms. And that's been the most frightening thing about all this to me. And wondering what your perspective on that is. Well, I agree with you, John, and disregard also for other point of view. Uh, you know, there's other experts, uh, doctors that are saying, you know, uh, we don't need to have lockdowns. Uh, we need to protect older people. We know that they're most affected by that uh, virus. So, uh, and now there's a small, uh, uh, medium-sized uh, entrepreneurs and businesses that uh, cannot operate. It's, uh, you know, they, they, they don't want to have any, uh, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, restaurants and bars and gyms. They don't want to have uh, subsidies from the government for not being open. They just want to, to work. They just want to uh, open their doors to, to their clients. And, and, you know, it's now, <clears throat> now the, we have a second wave and more lockdowns. And uh, I was also very disappointed with the uh, position in Alberta. Uh, Jason Kenney in the beginning uh, were the only one who didn't impose masks and lockdowns. And now he's doing that. Um, there's other solutions, and I'm not an expert, but I'm reading and I'm listening, and there's other solutions out there, but you cannot have that discussion in the mainstream media. Uh, if you have that discussion, uh, they will look at you like uh, somebody that is a little bit crazy. Uh, they don't open their pages for other opinions. And then the, uh, the only one uh, idea that is coming from our government uh, so it's scary a little bit, and uh, we need to be in a democracy, and in a democracy you need to have debates, and you need to be able to have debates. And now here in Quebec, uh, Legault just said yesterday that, uh, you know, you can have uh, up to 6,000 uh, daughters uh, as uh, if you have uh, people in your house during Christmas time. Uh, you know, your house must be your, your property, property and, uh, and you know, it, it, 
usually police don't have the right to come in your house if you don't have any mandate uh, from the court. But that being said, uh, they are saying in Quebec that uh, they will uh, be very active and they will look and they want people to respect all these uh, regulations and restrictions on our freedom and liberty. Uh, you know, it's scary. And uh, I'm, I'm looking at that and uh, I'm saying, you know, we need to be out there and to fight and to uh, for what we believe. And I think more and more people will understand uh, the good news is uh, the last couple of months, uh, we had more people following the PPC, following my uh, YouTube channel, uh, following uh, me on Twitter. I'm on Parler right now. I'm starting to be on Parler. So there's more and more people that I can reach, and that's a good news. <clears throat> so I think out there, there's a silent majority that, you know, they're looking at that and they're saying, you know, it, it's... Um, it's it's not normal what happened right now, and we don't have we don't want to have that new normal. Uh, we just want to live our life and be responsible of our health and our actions. Yeah, I, I completely agree, and you know it's something I talk about a lot on this show. But it's it really is evident in this type of environment that very few people seem to have an appreciation for history. And what happens when you disregard individual rights and freedoms in service of whatever the common good or collective good issue may be? You know, things can get really, really ugly if you allow that to unfold. And that's part of the thing that concerns me is that just, you know, fear has allowed us as a society to do away with the absolutes that are supposed to be the bedrock of our society, which is individual freedom and liberty. And if we don't have that, if that can be swept away because of fill in the blank event or fear or whatever, then that conveys a tremendous amount of power and control over the people who are, you know, who are in control of those laws and the, the apparatus of the state and things of that nature. So, you know, that's the thing that gives me you know, the most trepidation. And then here we have the most perhaps relevant issue right now is the vaccine is being disseminated around the world right now. Obviously, it was developed extremely quickly. It's a very unique uh, vaccine in terms of the type of vaccine that it is. So I, when I say that, I mean to say that there's not very much data on, you know, long-term uh, effects and efficacy and safety of such a vaccine. And yet it seems like uh, there's going to be a lot of coercion, if not mandates for people to receive this vaccine. I'm just wondering, you know, what your take is on, on that issue. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the most important for us is freedom of choice. People must be able to decide by themselves if they want the vaccine or not. And for, for me personally, you know, I don't want to take that vaccine. Uh, I'm not at risk. I'm in shape. And I can understand that older people will take the vaccine and maybe other person. But I don't see and I don't want the government to tell me that I cannot travel or I cannot go to a restaurant or to uh, see a movie if I don't have the vaccine. Uh, that's like a communist party. Uh, they are doing that in China. Uh, so we're not in China, we're not in a communist country, so we will fight against that. And, and um, I, you know, I think, uh, I hope we'll have the support of uh, a lot of people. Uh, yes, you know, people can do what they want to do with their body. If they want to have the vaccine, it's okay. And maybe the vaccine is very good. I'm not an expert, but because I know that personally I'm not at risk and, uh, and, and I'm in shape, so, you know, I'm not against vaccines. 
I'm just saying, you know, I don't want to have that vaccine and I don't want the population to be in a position to take the vaccine because they want to, to live their life, they want to travel, because they want to, 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 to be out there. And that, that's, uh, that's scary. Uh, you can count on us at the PPC to fight against that. Yeah, and you know, the, the thing, the troubling part about that is that this whole narrative has been pushed down a direction so focused on, you know, cases and flattening the curve and, and all the lockdowns that people are forced to endure as a result of the response, the imposed response by the government to this virus, that it's very, very easy to see how the people that take the, the stance that you just took, the people that say, I, I, I want this to be my choice, it's very easy to see how they will be demonized by the media, by the government, uh, you know, and there'll be a lot of pressure put on those people probably, and they'll be seen as, as you know, dangerous to society or selfish or, or whatever when, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. It's, it's people looking at this thing rationally and saying, myself as a young, healthy individual, this virus places effectively no threat to my, my health and safety, no more than any other activity I may do, including getting in the car and driving to work on a daily basis. Uh, so why should I have to do that? And I, I, that's going to be, a, I hope, a public debate. But as you said earlier, many of these things don't even make it to the public discourse because, you know, uh, the narrative is so strong in, in the fear and the response to, to this issue thus far that, you know, maybe it's not permitted, as you said, you know. Yeah, but it, I think, you know, if that happened, people will uh, lose some of their freedom. But the most important, you know, when we are saying, you know, individual freedom and personal responsibility is important. But if you want to benefit from your freedom, you need to be able to, uh, to have money first and to be able to keep the money that you earn. And right now, what will happen with the huge deficit and the debts, so people would be uh, taxed and the tax will go up or will have inflation. So the government, uh, the government don't have the courage to tax people right now for all these huge deficit. What they're doing, you know, they, will, they won't tax, but what they will do, they will maybe increase the taxes a little bit on the 1% and things like that. But to be able to balance the budget, they won't do that. So what they will do, they will print money and will have inflation and inflation is a hidden tax. So we will lose uh, some of our freedom because you know, we, will, we will have less money in our pockets and the money that we'll have will buy uh, fewer goods and services. So that's a kind of a way to a uh, loss of freedom uh, and people don't realize that also. Yeah, that's a very, very underappreciated fact that a lot of people just, you know, they're not educated enough or haven't taken the time to understand that dynamic well enough to know how insidious and how damaging it can be to their lifestyle and their freedom, et cetera. And it, 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 it brings a, a broader point that as greater state and government involvement in the economy and in society, as it grows, you get greater economic dislocation, you get greater economic impairment, which necessitates, at least you know, in a public perspective, more government involvement. And it's this cycle all the way down. But as that happens, people are becoming more dependent and more dependent on the state. You know, now we have the, the CERB and ideas about UBI and things like this, which, among other things, makes it more difficult to be critical of, of that apparatus. And, you know, again, that's, that's one of the concerning things is that uh, not only are these things happening, but they're, they're, 
the ease with which they're able to happen because people are so dependent on the state is increasing, you know, and it, 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 again, with the historical context, these, these sorts of scenarios don't typically end well if you continue on this course, but so few people have an appreciation for that. But that's why I'm saying, you know, the second wave that we are seeing right now, it's a second wave of socialism uh, in this country. And, uh, and it's, it's bad. The, the government and the liberals and also the conservatives thinks that, you know, uh, if they spend money that they don't have, they will uh, stimulate the economy. And we know that it is a sedative for the economy. It's not a stimulus. Uh, you know, the government cannot create wealth. It's people, it's uh, entrepreneurs that are investing who are creating wealth and jobs in this country. So they will spend another one hundred uh, million dollars to try to stimulate the economy. Uh, that's not working. We have proof in the past in other countries. So, and they must do the opposite. But because you know, they, the population don't realize right now what's happening and what will be the cost in the future. Um, they don't. They don't have uh, a lot of uh, people against all these uh, stimulus and, and, and money that they are throwing to everybody. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's the first recession that the personal income of a family is increasing instead of going down. Usually in a recession, you know, you lose your job, you have fewer incomes and, and, and less money. But right now the government is so generous that we are in a recession and the, the personal income is increasing. Uh, but, you know, that's the, the we can be, uh, we can have a Christmas every day, every day of the year. Uh, that will have to stop and at the end you know our purchasing power will go, will go down our standard of living will go down uh, and it's too bad yeah you know these sort of actions don't even stand up to just basic logic and rationale like if we just had a hundred billion dollars lying around to you know jump start the economy or boost the economy well, why didn't we just do that last year and the year before and the year before if it was as easy as just taking the hundred billion and going hey we'll fix everything with this why don't we do that every year why don't we give everyone a million dollar check you know yeah. and yeah. people will think i'm being hyperbolic when i say that but it, it it's 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 kind of binary like can can the government create value out of thin air and does that value actually accrue to, in in real terms to the economy yes or no my contention is no it's a redistributive effect. And there's only yeah. so long that that parasite can suck the lifeblood of the economy that it's on. And all that dislocation and all that, that, that malinvestment ultimately comes home to roost. But as you said, you know, most people will experience that primarily in the cost of living going up first slowly and then probably more rapidly. Um, and then by the time they realize that something is wrong, uh, it's a little bit late to fix it. Yeah. But I know that uh, you want to protect your wealth and uh, you're very in the, the Bitcoin. And, you know, I want John to uh, thank you because uh, last time we had the, uh, this, an interview like that, a discussion like that, uh, you know, I told you that, you know, I'm very curious about Bitcoin and I, I don't know a lot, but I'm curious. And you sent me uh, that book that it's uh, very, uh, very useful for me. I didn't finish to read it. Uh, the Bitcoin standard, and I want I want to say to everybody that are listening uh, to us and viewing uh, our interview right now, if you want to know more about Bitcoin, you're right, John. That's a very great book, and uh, you know I'm not there to give some uh, 
financial advice uh, to people, uh, but uh, I think it's time to protect your wealth and Bitcoin or gold can be a way to do that. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that you're enjoying it so far. And uh, I look forward to hearing some thoughts maybe privately when, w- once you've finished it, because that book in particular, it's interesting. Uh, and I think the reason why it struck a chord with the mainstream audience is because most of it is about money, not about Bitcoin. Yeah. And that's a, a history that a lot of people don't have. But once they have an appreciation for what money is and how it's evolved and how it works and what good money is and what bad money is, then at the end of it, it just says, this is what Bitcoin is and this is where it fits in the landscape. But a lot of people don't even ever question the money. They say, I have a five Canadian dollars and it's this Canadian dollar bill and that's all I've ever known. And what, you know, what's the difference between this and an American dollar bill and some gold? And once you begin to understand the differences, then you begin to see just how not only damaging, but how unfair it is that a government has a monopoly on the creation of money and what that means in terms of what they're allowed to, allowed and able to siphon off the productive capacity of an economy and the power that that conveys to them. And that's, you know, you know, a big part of in the Bitcoin community, you know, why we want to separate money and state is because it, it leads to an extreme imbalance of power an extreme irresponsibility at the hands of the people who have the control to create that money at zero cost a non-market-based money. And uh, that leads to, wars, longer wars, greater size government, you know, more ability to oppress uh, and limit freedoms of, of the citizen, citizenry and a lot of other, you know, deleterious impacts. And so that's why we're so passionate about this thing. <laughs> yeah, I understand. And uh, that must be a good investment because now governments uh, uh, around the world are looking to regulate uh, Bitcoin and to impose more restrictions. Uh, so they don't like competition. Uh, you know, and we know that central banks are looking for another way to uh, compete against uh, bitcoins, and so that must be a good way to protect your wealth. Also, uh, you know, it's too bad that um, there's something there that people can use to protect their wealth, or and and now you have the government that try to interfere. What do you think about that? You're more an expert uh, than me about that, but I've read that uh, maybe it can happen, uh, more regulation, and what, what do you think will be the impact of, of these regulations coming from central banks and, and, uh, and maybe the, uh, the uh, uh, UN or organization like that that want to uh, impose more regulation to restrict the use of the Bitcoins? Do you think if they will be successful or what is your, your point of view on that? I'm curious to, to know it. I think um, this has been, this has always been a scenario that people in the Bitcoin space have expected, you know? So there's a very adversarial sort of mindset uh, from people that are in Bitcoin. We're under no illusions. You know, we don't think we're just going to come along and disrupt the state monopoly on money and there's not going to be any pushback. So from yeah. day one, uh, that's been a very core mindset of, of people in this space. And, you know, it's happened in in different places in different times. I was living in China when China, um, you know, had a a partial ban. So, you know, the exchanges were were banned uh, in like the the fiat to Bitcoin exchanges were banned in China. And um, the thing is, is the reason why Bitcoin, one of the reasons why Bitcoin is so special. I mean, none of 
none of Bitcoin's other interesting attributes, like let's say it's absolute scarcity, it's, it's 21 million supply cap, none of that really matters or can even be uh, maintained unless Bitcoin has censorship resistance. So that's pretty much the whole thesis of Bitcoin is that it's a, a censorship resistant money. That, pe- you know, that, that governments, nor private institutions, nor people can shut down. Now, can they make it more difficult for citizens of certain countries to operate or, uh, with it? Absolutely. Because you know, if a government says, hey, well, first of all, we'll shut down all the exchanges, and that makes it more difficult to acquire and trade, right? Yeah. But then they can say, uh, maybe we're going to tax it at a high rate, or we're going to say you're not allowed to own it. And so then you become a de facto criminal if you have it. And that certainly causes inconvenience. But one, I don't, that doesn't, that doesn't kill Bitcoin. That makes but it. They did, that, they did that to gold also, you know, uh, Roosevelt did that. So you don't have the right to own gold. And, uh, you know, at the end, we still, gold is still there. So you think it can be the same thing with Bitcoins? Yeah, I think it will. I, I, I think, um, and the, the, the thing is, is like, this is probably going to be a, uh, a, a pretty substantial battle. I mean, this is the whole game, right? When we talk about the size of government and we talk about tyranny, we talk about individual liberty, the control of the money is pretty much the linchpin for everything. And this is, this is why bit people in the Bitcoin space have been critical of gold is because as great as it was as a form of market-based money is that it naturally, because of its physicality uh, and value to weight ratio, it's centralized. And then it just became a power game. Who had the, the soldiers or who had the army or who had the, the might to take over the centralized gold? And that's kind of the story of history. What's interesting about Bitcoin is that it has a lot of excellent monetary properties, but it's distributed throughout the entire world and in, in a unknown amounts with unknown people all over the place. So there's no single honeypot that you can come in and take over and control. And so that may, that's part of its censorship resistance. So I, I think, you know, and also it's, it's an exceptional form of optionality. So with Bitcoin, you can have, you can have your entire wealth stored as 12 or 24 words in your head, and if you need to go escape Canada and go to Switzerland, if you need to escape the U.S. and go to South America, if you need to be mobile, and the story of history is, is you know, rife with examples where the citizenry were oppressed to a certain degree, let's say Germany around the, uh, prior to the Second World War, and certain people tried to get out before things got really bad, but you had to leave your capital in the country because you couldn't escape with your gold or your real estate or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. So you kind of had to start anew in America or Canada or England or wherever. Bitcoin allows, represents the opportunity to take your wealth with you. And that puts a lot of pressure on governments because it means that they can't one, you know, they have to kind of stop you from leaving because they can't stop you from taking your capital with you. And hey, ho, what do you know? We have a, a crisis on our hands where that's exactly what's, what's happening it, it, is that it's decreasing the mobility of, of, of individuals across borders. Now, I don't know if that was some part of an agenda or if it's just, you know, happenstance, uh, you know, part of this thing. But to answer your question, um, I don't think, ultimately, I think Bitcoin wins the war with government. Because, because of its architecture and because of how passionate, because of how um, important a lot of people realize that it is. But I think it will be, a, you know, there will be a lot of inconveniences placed on people. So people like myself and other people in the space, we may be incentivized via the regulations that come down the pike to play a sort of jurisdictional arbitrage game. Maybe we have to 
be somewhere else for a while or, or what have you. But the interesting point, Maxime, that I, that it's actually something relevant to you that I'd, I'd love to discuss with you is that the flip side of that is there could be, I don't think government regulations will destroy, like will be, will do a complete ban on Bitcoin because I believe they, I think the regulations up till now and the general communications have been that they realize there's an industry worth fostering here. They just want to have some type of control over it. And I think what's happening now, and especially over the last year, I mean, in in August, we saw a a publicly traded company on the NASDAQ MicroStrategy. They put $450 million of their treasury reserves into Bitcoin. Yesterday, there was an announcement by, uh, I think it was Massachusetts, life insurance, uh, they have $420 billion assets under management, something like that. And they put a hundred million into Bitcoin. So, and then we have senators in the United States that are coming out advocating for Bitcoin. Cynthia Loomis in Wyoming, she was just elected to the Senate and she's been on all the financial news programs and that's one of her primary issues. And so I think the, the narrative that this is, this is about liberty. Bitcoin is about freedom and liberty. And I think that resonates with a lot of people. Simultaneous to that, you can also make a lot of money because if this really is the next evolutionary step in the evolution of money, then as it monetizes, as it distributes around the world, as people learn about it and begin to you know, put some of their savings into that vehicle to protect it against inflation and government overreach and government confiscation, then necessarily when you have a supply that's limited, the price has to adjust upward for that distribution. So as, as people often say in this space, you come to get rich, you stay for the revolution. You know, so I, I think those are two powerful incentives. Freedom and wealth are two very, very powerful incentives that I think are going to mean that Bitcoin innervates the legacy system through companies, individuals, even politicians, et cetera. And that makes it harder to ban when it's so commonplace when it was just drug dealers and whatever else on the internet sure very easy to ban but when it's become more uh, more acceptable more acceptable more palatable to a larger audience i think it, it's diff- more difficult to ban it outright and, and since our last discussion uh, i think uh, bitcoin went a little bit higher and uh, and we don't, I'm reading some financial experts that are more, uh, invest more in gold. Uh, but now they're saying, you know, uh, I think we must look at Bitcoin. Uh, I think we must have a look and like you just said, other private entities, uh, corporations and a big uh, fund, a mutual fund decided to uh, put some of their investment in Bitcoins that give that, uh, that kind of alternative to gold more credibility. And uh, yeah, you're right. Uh, but me personally, uh, up to now, I, I don't have any Bitcoins. Uh, maybe I will. Uh, uh, I'm, more, I'm more in gold. I'm more traditional on that. But I'm, 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 that's why I want to finish that book. And after that, to uh, maybe invest in uh, just to protect my wealth. I think that would be a good move. Uh, I'm not saying uh, right now, I don't want saying to Canadians that, that are listening that I'm giving some financial advice. I'm not competent for that. I'm just speaking for myself. And I'm looking at what happened around the world right now. All the money, they're in competition, debasement of the paper money. They are creating money out of thin air. Uh, the American US dollar cannot uh, stay like the uh, the. Uh, 
universal uh, money on the globe, money that uh, a lot of people are using right now. Uh, the value of the US dollar will go down. That will help gold, that will help Bitcoin also. I think that the same kind of people that are investing uh, in these two, uh, uh, two assets, um, you know, it's, we are in, I think we are right now in, in a time that the monetary system will switch and we don't know what will be after the U.S. dollar. Uh, what will be the money that uh, will be used? Is will be based on gold or other things or a basket of, of paper money? Uh, we don't know. But we can see right now with what happened with the Fed, the Bank of Canada, uh, all other central banks. There's uh, they will in 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 a couple of years will have a new kind of monetary system and between and during that time, I think it would be good for gold and it would be good for Bitcoin. Uh, I don't know if that they will be official or they will use the gold or, or Bitcoin as a, a standard. I don't believe so. But during that uncertainty that we have right now in the financial markets, uh, that's a good time, I think, for these two uh, assets. Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you. And I, I think in terms of what comes next, I think there's, a, there's quite a bit of dislocation before we, we come to a better solution. I don't know if it's five years, 10 years, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the issues you know, with gold is that it's still predicated on trusting the institutions that are, are dealing in it. So you know, we say we're gonna, gonna, gonna go back to a gold standard, but it still means like you're, I'm, you give me a gold certificate, i.e. A, you know, a $100 bill, that represents gold in a vault, but I have to trust you. And that's, that's part of why Bitcoin is, is, is so interesting because it removes that level of trust. You can verify for yourself the, the asset. But one of the, the, the last things I wanted to discuss with you, Maxime, was you, know, you, you mentioned, we, we talked at the beginning, um, the fiscal response in Canada and obviously around the world. And to the common person, they hear that the government's in a, you know, has 400, billion in deficit and they've borrowed this much money, they've printed this much money and it just doesn't register. It's not a concern to most people. And most, most likely governments in this day and age where they have access to the printing press through the central banks, they won't default, right? They'll monetize all of this debt and we'll see, we'll see a lot of price increases and we'll see a lot of inflation to, to the point where confidence in these, these monetary instruments dissolves. And, and when that happens, you know, we get, or as that happens, I guess, we get increasing amounts of, of really bad outcomes, chaos, social problems, gr growing government. And um, I don't know if you've read the, have you read the book, The Sovereign Individual? No, no. I'll, I'll send you a link for that to, when yeah. we're done. I highly recommend that. But, you know, and, and the, another one is The Fourth Turning. And it, they both kind of um, speak to this we may be, as much as you know that I uh, love the principles that you espouse as part of you know, your leadership at the PPC and what the, the party stands for, they just don't seem to be, it doesn't seem to be the right time for that message. You know, we seem to be going more towards collectivism, more towards socialism. And as we've been discussing, naturally, that's to be expected as things break down further and further and further. And so I wonder if you know, as um, I wonder if for someone like you, and I guess this is my pitch, uh, for someone like you, 
I think over the next two or three years, Bitcoin will, will become a far bigger issue around the world. I think the price will be way higher. I think more people will have an appreciation for its value. And I think it's going to be something that governments have to contend with. That could be the messy period. But five to 10 years from now, I think, I, I think the battle is won and I think Bitcoin wins. Now, that's me being you know, yeah. my optimistic self yeah. about what this <laughs> represents. But I, I almost think for someone like yourself who you know, is, is putting out these excellent messages, but because of the zeitgeist of the times that we're in, it's not resonating with a lot of people because we're in this collectivist mindset pretty much around the world. You know, I wonder if you leaned into something like Bitcoin earlier and developed a credibility around understanding it and knowing what it is and not, not selling it, of course, but, you know, yeah. kind of represent introducing it to people for the aspects of liberty that it, it, it allows for. And then at such time when the political winds, when the social winds change, and that idea of individualism, of liberty, of freedom is resurrected, hopefully, on the basis of a sounder money system, then, you, then I think there'll be a lot of people that resonate with the message that, 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 that you share. And I think you'd also um, benefit a lot from credibility earned when nobody was talking about this thing to in the future, everybody is. So I wonder if you've given thought to that because I know it must be frustrating for you to feel this trend toward greater socialism, greater collectivism and have your extremely uh, rational perspective on individual liberty fall on deaf ears a lot of the time. Yes, you have a point there. Uh, but concerning uh, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, I'm I'm still um, I'm still, <clears throat> you know, learning. Uh, that's why you know I'm reading uh, Wolf in History, your book. Uh, but uh, I can tell you that I'm more open than I was the first discussion that we had, uh, because I'm more interested to read about it uh, than in in the past. You know. Uh, didn't know and I didn't want to know, but uh, I think it's important to be educated about uh, that alternative. And yes, you're right. Uh, I did uh, a couple of videos uh, 10 years ago saying, you know, we must go back to a gold standard because we had a gold standard in the uh, 19th century. And uh, that was uh, a prosperous century with the trades and, you know, uh, all uh, more free trade, real free trade, uh, the money, paper money were based on something and that was the gold standard. So so that's why, you know, I'm promoting that because it was a success in the past. And but right now, what will be the next one? Maybe we must. And I think you're right. Put in the equation uh, Bitcoin and uh, I'm, uh, I'm reading about that. But I want also and I'm learning about that. So I'm more open. I'm not telling you that. Um, I don't, I still believe in a strong gold standard. I, the, the paper money must be based on something, not the, uh, and the government, as you know, they can print all the money and that's what we're doing in Canada right now. But that being said, you're right to say that we are in a, in a time right now that socialism, more government and crisis are outside, are there, and that would be worse. We are in a recession. We may be in a depression soon. So that being said, for, for us, speaking about more freedom, less government, more individual freedom, uh, we're not, uh, we're not uh, uh, 
popular, you know, uh, people want to have more safety and they think that it will come from the government. And so when I'm saying less government and more freedom, uh, it's, it's a little bit harder for us to be out there. But, you know, our goal in politics and our goal and, and my goal is to continue to speak about what I believe because we have the best ideas. We just have to be out there to explain our ideas uh, based on Western civilization, based on, on people and not the big fat government. But uh, I, I'm very realistic at the same time. I think at the next general election, our goal is to increase our support. Uh, I don't believe that I'll be prime minister after the next election. Uh, you know, my goal is to, we had 1.6% of the vote nationally. Uh, it took 20 years and six elections for the Green Party to have that. Uh, we did that in one year. And I think we must increase that, increase our percentage of the vote uh, from 1.6 to 5, 6%. That would be a huge achievement if we're doing that. And I want to be part of that mainstream national debate. Right now, we are not. And the way to be part of that mainstream national debate uh, on issues, it's to, to be in the House and to be back in the House of Commons and to be elected. So I will work very hard to be back in the House and to speak about what we believe. And we don't need to be in government to, to change things. Look at the Green Party. You know, uh, every uh, establishment parties and, and mainstream parties, the Conservatives, the Liberal, the NDP, the Bloc Québécois, they have a, a, a green uh, platform that is, uh, you know, almost like the Green Party of Canada. So they're not in government, but they had only three MPs and they won the debate on, on, on the environment. And if we can do the same with two, three, five, six, seven MPs, and having a big influence in Canada, uh, that would be great. I think that's the goal. Step by step, we can do something. But about the new system uh, after that uh, collapse uh, financial system that I believe will happen, I don't know when, but will happen. It always happened in the past, if you look at history. Uh, I, I, maybe Bitcoin, Bitcoin can, play, can play a role, but uh, I, I need to, uh, to know a little bit more about that and to be more uh, more informed and that's what i'm doing right now yeah well i'll uh, be sure after this for some <laughs> uh, for some reading for your christmas holidays i'll send you a few great uh, articles you know one of the things that, that's so great about this space is that the intellectual capital the quality of the thought and the people and the discourse is so amazing and i know that once you you were you get drawn into it i, I think you'll appreciate it so I'll send you some of our best stuff and you can enjoy it by the fire over the holidays. But uh, Max, the last thing before I let, let, let you go, aside from gold, aside from Bitcoin, for the people that are concerned about what's happening here in Canada and, you know, of course, other countries, but more relevant to you and I here in Canada, um, who see, you know, we have, we have the finance minister talking about preloaded stimulus, and this gets a lot of people concerned about what's going to be happening to their savings. And, you know, we have obviously at some point tax via inflation or direct is going to have to go up for all this boring and spending. We have concerns about mandated vaccines. We have concerns about freedom of mobility. What, I mean, what do you think, um, aside from taking care of yourself financially, is the appropriate response from a concerned individual today? What can they do to push back against what's happening? But they can do a lot, you know, they can, they can, first of all, 
be informed about what happened, and that's the most important. When you know what happened and there's a solution there, uh, but maybe that solution won't be implemented uh, soon. But you have to speak about it. You have to to speak about your what you believe. You have to be to have the courage of explaining uh, what what you think uh, is happening right now. Uh, loss of our freedom and to your friends, to your family, uh, to your coworkers, uh, be out there and, and share share our videos. Uh, sh share. Sh you can go on our website, People's Party of Canada. See you can go on my YouTube channel, People's Party of Canada official YouTube channel. They can do, you know, we're not alone. We have the social media right now that we didn't have before. And, you know, we started the People's Party with social media. Uh, and we, we started the organization. When we started the party, uh, we said, you know, go do a Facebook page in your region and ask people to come and have a meeting with them and create a writing association. So we were able to use the social media to create a political party in one year. It took about five years for the Reform Party of Canada to uh, be an, uh, an efficient political party. Uh, we did that in one year with, with uh, the use of social media. So we, we, have, we have something there and I'm, I'm saying to people, you know, go out there and share links and like, uh, like uh, what, what you're reading and speak about it. We're, we're not alone. We are maybe a, a strong minority, but we are still a minority. And, you know, I'm looking at some politicians that are, you know, uh, very scared for their seats right now. Uh, people are not happy. Uh, they're not happy. They know that uh, something is not real right now, what happened. Uh, and I believe that the common sense of, of people will, uh, and the good idea and the best ideas based on freedom and personal responsibility will win. Uh, but we need everybody to, to, do what, uh, to do what they think that is good for themselves, but also to not be scared. Right now, it's the uh, censorships, censorship on, on, the, on certain social media, but there's a way to be out there and just to, to, to speak about what we believe. I'm asking people, believe in yourself and, and don't be afraid to expand your ideas. And that's the most important. We are growing as a political party because of the support of people and we have very uh, uh, active uh, partisans that are helping us to grow. So uh, I don't think that we'll be able to change uh, the, the way that the liberal government is, is uh, governing right now, but we can inform and if I can use that word, educate the population altogether. And, uh, you know, I'm optimistic that at the end, always the best ideas will win. And that's why I'm in politics. Uh, you know, I'm not doing that to please everybody and to tell you what you want to hear. I think, you know, people must hear what, what happened right now in this country. And that's what I'm, I'm doing. Maybe sometimes it's, it's not popular with the, the majority of the population, but step by step will be there. Yeah, I, I think that's a fantastic point. And I think, I do think, I have faith at least that the best ideas will win and that the truth oh, yeah. will emerge and that the truth will prevail. And it's voices like yours and discussions like this and the many others that are happening out there that are trying to cut through the noise of the fear mongering and the very narrow narrative and bias of the mainstream media that people get fed. And I think you're right. I think if people 
if people desire to and they seek to be informed and the sources of information that they consult or they're able to they're able to curate their own sources of information to to come to their own conclusions then i think you know we'll get people making better decisions and we'll get people being more uh, calm and methodical and rational with their decision making and less tolerant of the types of decision making that we're seeing at, at a state level uh, today so that's my hope. And what's really great about this form of media and what we both have been doing and many others is that clearly there's a, there's an appetite for this. You know, people are tuning into these conversations and they may not agree with everything you or I say, but they can, they, first of all, they see the manner in which we're having the discussion, a very open, a very respectful, uh, educated, informed discussion. And then they can take from it what, what they will. And I think the more we do this, and if we persist in this, then at least we keep giving ourselves chances, uh, you know, for people to encounter another perspective. And that, you know, I, I, I typically think that that you can't go wrong there. That's a good thing. So, um, Max, it's always a, it's a, a pleasure to speak to you again. Um, I know it's been a, a tough year, but hopefully you're able to uh, spend time with family and friends over Christmas in that lovely environment you're in and uh, do a little Bitcoin reading while you're at it. And we'll speak again sometime in the new year. I will. I still have uh, four <laughs> chapters to read. So I promise you next time I'll be, we'll be able to have a deep discussion about uh, all that in this book. <laughs> Excellent. I can't wait. Take care of yourself, Max. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you very much, John. Merry Christmas. Enjoy your, your time with your family. Thank and you. And you. we'll see you next year. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.